Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. The proclamation of Christian faith in this day and age is a tricky thing. Of course, talk is cheap. There are lots of options in the spiritual marketplace in which we live. And in recent decades, with the really bad stuff in elements of the church, it's been a challenging thing to take a public stand for this faith. So how do we live out the life of Christ and find a form of words to speak about him and all his goodness without rubbing others up the wrong way? Dr. R.T. Kendall is a renowned and esteemed Christian writer, speaker and teacher who pastored the Westminster Chapel in London for 25 years. He himself was teased for his faith and spent many years trying to get past it. He's the author of a new book, one of 60 he's written, called Unashamed to Bear His Name. It's a challenge and can be very tough, but I think you'll find it can be well worth it. For such a small cost, Dr. R.T. Kendall, welcome to Open House. Oh, you honour me. I'm thrilled to be with you. And you honour us for your presence. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. R.T., how do you assess the difficulty in this day and age, this challenge of bearing the name of Christ in our world today? Well, it's more challenging than ever. Uh, As you know, I now live in America. Yes. And uh, we are known for having a Bible belt but uh, now, the very thing that we took for granted for years, that Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to heaven, is now being challenged right, left, and center. And even in the Bible Belt, you have many Christians that uh, back off from being uh, assertive in this area. And it's very sad. And I think we need to stand up and be counted and show that we're unashamed of the gospel. The use of the word unashamed assumes that you think that they are ashamed. Well, let's put it this way. The book that you've kindly referred to uh, was originally called The Stigma of Bearing a Christian, and the publisher wanted to change the title to the one that it now is, Unashamed to Bear His Name. But the original title, my working title, was The Stigma of Being a Christian. And the word stigma, uh, which means offense, really comes down to one word, embarrassment. We're embarrassed. And uh, I think that's what it is. I don't want to, to be hard on my fellow believers and, and, and uh, fellow Americans here in the Bible Belt, but uh, sometimes I think I've got the Elijah complex that I alone am left. And that, that of course, is not true. There, there are tens of thousands that are with me, but there are too many that are backing off and, and ashamed, I think, embarrassed to, to stand up for the gospel. Is there an extent to which you understand or sympathize with their either embarrassment or reluctance or sensitivity to make oh, a more public yes. stand for oh, Christ? Oh, yes, 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 I do. Mm. Uh, nobody enjoys being embarrassed, but I grew up feeling embarrassed uh, because of the church that I was brought up in back in Kentucky. And uh, so I'm, I'm sensitive to this, uh, and I understand. I do understand. And uh, I'm not hoping, I'm not being critical at all, but I'm just making a point that we all need to be unashamed, and even though it is embarrassing, and I do sympathize, I really sympathize with that, we must uh, nonetheless uh, come out of hiding and, and be unashamed to bear the name of Jesus. As I said before, you had to overcome 
some torment and teasing yourself for taking a public stand as a Christian. How much did those jibes affect you? My old denomination was called the Church of the Nazarene. Back in Kentucky, in Ashland, where I was brought up, we were still, I think, we're talking about the 1940s and 50s, I think we were at the end of the momentum uh, that was begun by the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky in 1802. And 130, 140 years later, there was just a touch of it. And I grew up in a church like that. And uh, so the Nazarenes were called noisy rings <laughs> because of the noise that they made in their worship. And uh, you could hear them a block away. And, of course, to go to a church like that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Fellow uh, students at, in my high school uh, would say, R.T.'s the Nazarene, R.T.'s the Nazarene. And it was kind of embarrassing because it was the only church in town like that. Maybe that uh, helped pave the way for the way I am now. How long was the process of getting past that? And how did you go about it? Well, maybe I'm not past it. Uh, uh, many years later, by the way, today's my 77th birthday. Yes, and you're about to go out with your family, so I'm deeply indebted for you uh, joining us at that time. Thank Here, you. You, you honor me. Happy birthday. And, uh, I got a big boost when I was, I think I was 20 years old. I was a student at Trevecca, and I was also pastor of a little church about 115 miles away from Nashville. And I uh, would go there on weekends. One Monday morning, driving in my car uh, to Nashville, I can take you to the place, I can take you to the spot on old US 41, where all of a sudden as I'm driving, the glory of the Lord filled the car. There as I drove, at my right hand was Jesus. He was more real to me than the Hickory Lake that I'm looking at right now as I speak to you. I mean, he was so real to me. And there he was at the right hand of God making intercession for me. And I realized he loved me more than I love myself. And uh, by the time I got to Nashville, hour and a half, two hours later, I was a changed man. Uh, my theology changed. Uh, I've never looked back. And that was uh, over 50 years ago. And uh, it shaped me. And uh, so I think I'd have to say that that had far more impact on me than even the being brought up in Ashland in that church. And yet not nearly every Christian person has that kind of experience, has that privilege. I know, and I have to remember that all the time. And thank you for saying that. Uh, you're very sensitive, and I need to be sensitive to people that have not had that experience. And I don't deserve to have had it. Uh, I don't know why God would do that in my case. Uh, but he did, but it, it shaped my future. It's the reason for, well, I don't know if the word success is right, but, but uh, whatever I've uh, enjoyed over the years, being at Westminster Chapel and, and preaching around the world, it, I, I have to say that experience paved the way for me, and I'm yes. just a grateful man. And you then began to welcome the stigma of being a Christian. That's it. That's it. And I had fortified the uh, anointing from the Holy Spirit to do it. 
Let me tell you the verse that really lay behind the book. It's Acts chapter 5, verse 41. It's a description when Peter and John left the Sanhedrin. They'd been warned uh, not to speak uh, in the name of Jesus ever again, and they were flogged. And I can imagine that inside the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they looked at each other and said, well, we taught them a lesson. We won't have to worry about them again. They could not have known that Peter and John couldn't believe their luck, that they had the privilege, because Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says, when they left the council, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. Now, most people I know will avoid shame, shame of any kind. And yet, here were Peter and John. They couldn't believe that they had such a privilege. And that's what I wrote the book for. I wanted people to see it's such a privilege to be embarrassed. It's such a privilege to suffer shame. And uh, God will honor us for it, and it just compounds our own anointing. On Open House, we're with author, pastor, preacher, R.T. Kendall. R.T., in your book, you say the most important question to ask ourselves when we're dealing with this question is where I will be in 100 years from now. I don't know if you know about this, that uh, I had a friendship with Yasser Arafat. Uh, just six months after our retirement, I was invited to meet Arafat, and uh, we became friends. And, in fact, I visited him five times. But the first time I went to see him, I actually said, I didn't plan to say this, it just rolled out. I said, Ra'is, the most important question is not whether you get Jerusalem or the Israelis get Jerusalem, but where will you be 100 years from now? And uh, since I ask him that question, I use it all the time. I ask anybody, where will you be 100 years from now? And if you stood before God, and one day you will, and if he were to ask you, and he might, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And so I put that question, whether I'm in Australia, South Africa, England, all over America, this is, this is you could say, my one-string fiddle. I ask that question, do you know for sure, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And if you did stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you in, what would you say? And, you know, I get all kinds of answers. Some say, well, I was brought up in a Christian home. Others would say, well, I've tried to live a good life. And I'd say, look, I believe you, but that won't save you. Another says, well, I, I, I was baptized. I say, well, good, but that won't save you. Another says, well, I believe in the, I, I've kept the Ten Commandments. I said, well, you're a liar for one thing. Nobody's <laughs> kept the Ten Commandments. They said, well, I, I've lived with a sermon on the Mount. I say, you're a bigger liar. You know, the answer to the question what do you say to God if he says, why should I let you in, can be summed up in two words. Jesus died. That's it. That's the only hope I've got of going to heaven. I have no other hope. And that's the only hope anybody has. And, and that is the gospel. R.T., what was Yasser Arafat's answer to your question, your provocative question? Well, I thought they, that he would throw me out. And uh, I thought, who am I to talk like this? And there across the table was uh, Dr. Saab Arakat, 
he's the uh, Palestinian official uh, spokesman uh, when he negotiates. He's the negotiator with the Israelis. Do you know what? They just warmed to me. He, He didn't answer my question, by the way, but he warmed to me, and I couldn't have known that I'd end up going four more times. I had a total of five visits, and uh, when he died, I was actually supposed to be back. I mean, when he died, I was supposed to be in Ramallah with him. And uh, it was getting better all the time, and, and I, don't, I can't prove what I'm about to say, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm the only American who wept when Arafat died. Uh, I could say more, but I, I, I don't think I should. I just want you to know that it didn't offend him, and I preached the gospel to him again and again, prayed with him every time, anointed him with oil. Wonderful relationship. And I think it's a great illustration and a practical and powerful illustration of approaching perhaps a sensitive, highly sensitive and challenging circumstance, but being unashamed, as you write. Uh, I can tell you this. One day... According to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus will come with the clouds. Every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him. All the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. <laughs> Nobody will be ashamed then. And if we could have the awareness that one day we're all going to stand before God, I think it would do a lot to make us unashamed and unafraid uh, to st- state the gospel in clear terms and not to be afraid to, to mention his name and talk to people about Jesus and and whoever you meet uh, just ask them that question uh, it's the kindest question you can ever put to somebody do you know for sure if you were to die today would you go to heaven RT for the spectator to the Christian faith can you flesh out what you mean by that answer that two-word answer oh, Jesus sure. died the gospel in a nutshell, according to Martin Luther, is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the reason Jesus came into the world was to die on a cross. That's why he came. Uh, some say it was a great tragedy, great accident. No. This was God's reason for sending his son into the world to die for us. And when he shed his blood on Good Friday, here's what happened. Here are two theological words. I hope you can cope with these two words. One is expiation. The other is propitiation. Expiation, that's what the blood of Jesus does for us washes away all our sins. Propitiation, that's what the blood of Jesus does for God, turns his wrath away. And because the blood of Jesus satisfied God's justice, the only thing required of us is to put our trust in Jesus, in dying on the cross. Uh, I would say like this, put all your eggs into one basket, Jesus, death on the cross. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And that's the gospel in a word. I'm unashamed of that, and I hope to be able to say it right to my dying breath. So the good life that we would hope a person with Christian faith would live is not the answer to that 
moment, but is a result of living unashamed of his name. Okay, that, that's a very, very good point. The life that we live of obedience is a way of saying thank you to God. Uh, there's an old chorus, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And how do we thank the Lord? Well, we tell him, but the greatest way we thank him is by a life of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we do everything to please him and to live for his honor and glory. We let our good works shine before man and bring honor to God. But that said, those good works aren't what saves us. My obedience is not what saves me. Uh, My gratitude to God is not what saves me. I've got one hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it has fired such a significant ministry for decades that you have led. Can I ask you one particular question about it? While you were working at Westminster Chapel in London through those 25 years, you started a ministry called Pilot Lights. (laughs) And there's a great story behind that. Well, uh, here's what happened. I invited Arthur Blessett to Westminster Chapel. He's the man that's carried the cross around the world, has been to Australia more than once. He holds the World Guinness Book of Records for the longest walk around the world once and a half. Anyway, I invited Arthur to preach for us. What I didn't know is he was going to get us out on the streets I think, well, Arthur, you can do that. I don't have to do that. (laughs) And one night when uh, he was going to uh, get us all to uh, witness, uh, we were going to go near the chapel to an area called Page Street and knock on doors. Everybody headed toward Page Street, and when we, we were the last ones out of the church, and we came to the zebra crossing right there at Buckingham Gate, and Arthur saw three young people standing there. And I thought, oh, dear, I know what he's going to do. He's going to write to them. And Arthur, I'm sorry, we need to get going. We need to go to Page Street. And he just ignored me. In about 15 minutes, two of those young people prayed to receive the Lord. And then I looked at my watch and said, Arthur, we need to get going. And then he took out another track, took time now to say, now, this is what has happened to you. You're a new person. Your life has changed. Read your Bible every day. Uh, pray daily. Witness for Christ daily. Finally, he finished. And I said, Arthur, we need to get going. He saw another man coming from Buckingham Palace, uh, just which is right down the street, as you know, from Westminster Chapel. Yes. Arthur went right to him. And I thought, oh, dear, we're never going to get to Page Street. In 20 minutes, Arthur led him to the Lord, and then he turned to me. He said, Dr. Kendall, that's what he used to call me, I don't know where this Page Street is, but you don't need to leave the steps of your church. You've got the world right here. I died a thousand deaths. In that moment, I had a vision. It was a vision of a pilot light, like in a cooker or an oven. And I knew in that moment I would never be the same again. If I were to tell you the truth, you may think less of me when I tell you this. Until that day, you know what my ambition was? It was to become a theologian of world class. That's what I wanted. In that moment, though, when I saw that pilot light, I died. And I've never looked back. 
and I gave up all the aspiration of being the prestigious theologian, and all I wanted to do is to be an evangelist and lead people to Jesus. And it's been that way from that hour to this as we speak. R.T. Kendall, it's been an absolute privilege speaking with you. Thank you so much indeed. Well, you're a delight to talk to. You you know, sometimes I'm interviewed, and I don't think the person interviewing me is enjoying it very much, but you're in one spirit with me, and thank you for that. I've loved it. Thank you so much indeed for your time. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.